So how were your actual Christmases? I know we uh, faked how our Christmases were last time, but how were your actual real Christmases? We faked it. I love the maniacal laugh that you left in <laughs> after you asked me that question on the last podcast. I sound like a like an idiot. You listened to the podcast. You had no. that little to do over Christmas that you decided that you were going to listen to the podcast. I caught up, I caught up on 27 episodes of Random But Memorable. <laughs> 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 Happy New Year! Bah, bah, bah. No, it was good. I took a little bit of time off away from work, and Santa put a lot of Lego under the tree. And so the kids and I were just building. It was basically like building Lego sets and playing board games for for the entire time I was off. <laughs> That's which was perfect. Great. That's all you want. <laughs> yeah, it was it was fun, but. Uh, we also are in week 10, as of the recording of this, we are in week 10 of our master bathroom remodel. Oh, man. Yikes. Now, if 10 weeks sounds like a lot for a bathroom remodel, uh, I just want to tell you that it is. Uh, it's a long, <laughs> long time. It's almost done, but I don't understand why. You could have built it out of Lego in that time. I could have built the entire bathroom out of Lego, heated floors and all, like, in that time. Yeah. How about you? Uh, how was your how was your Yeah, break? it was pretty good. The first week was like hopping around, traveling around, see family and friends and was pretty crazy. And then the second week was just the complete opposite. It was chilled and doing absolutely nothing, catching up on TV, games, films, all that sort of stuff. So I feel like I needed the last week to get over the first week. <laughs> <laughs> What, uh, what games did you play? I played Detroit, which was amazing. Oh, really? Okay. Yes. I've, I've heard good things about it. Oh, we're playing that at the moment. We saw your tweet, uh, myself and uh, my wife, and yeah, we're, we're, we're playing through that at the moment. Are you enjoying I have uh, made some decisions, <laughs> you regret. which I later on regret. <laughs> and they tell you just to play it through the first time without, but I had to go back on a few chapters because I was just like, no, I can't live with this decision. <laughs> oh, we haven't done that. Oh, that's very interesting. Um, I, I highly recommend it, actually, to any of the people listening. Yeah. And you, you kind of make AI choices about, you know, the AIs live in, in society normally. Yeah, it just definitely asks a few questions that you can see will potentially happen in within our lifetime, even just the kind of ethical, moral questions around AI. Interesting. Yeah, very, very interesting. Matt, you said your Christmas was... It, it was it was, it was, was nice. We, we rented a big house in the countryside and there were llamas in the garden, which I very much enjoyed. I thought they were going to be friendlier, but then I realised alpacas are the friendly ones. <laughs> llamas are horrible things. You can walk alpacas, right? You can take yeah. them on a little lead. Yeah, you can't and... get anywhere near a llama because it yeah. will ears back, head back and get ready to kind of launch some phlegm at you. Do you know? Like, can you tell? Can you get ready to dodge? Or is it just like it comes out of nowhere? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're very obvious. Both ears go right back, <laughs> and then it, they, they close their eyes slightly as if to say, you're walking on thin ice. <laughs> Shall we get onto some Watchtower Weekly before we uh, yes, run out of time. <laughs> use all of our time talking about weird things that I do? <laughs> so what is this SureBet 247, Nigeria's leading sports betting company? And what's going on with our good friend Troy here? So uh, there's a little bit of internet cybersecurity bubble drama. Drama. Dun, dun, dun. Which involved Troy Hunt tweeting at SureBet 247 and saying, I'm pretty sure 
that you've had a data breach. <laughs> and I have DM'd you some sensitive information that I have to prove this. They blocked him on Twitter <laughs> and then tweeted, kindly ignore the information going around about a hack into our system, which has exposed your information with us. All sensitive private and financial information are stored on a secured server and protected by the best firewall oh. to prevent intrusions. Thank you. <laughs> Oh my god, I love the first reply. Someone goes, what are your odds on it? Want to bet? <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. This is so, like, how not to handle a data breach. They just, they don't understand, first of all, uh, that Troy Hunt knows what he's talking about. <laughs> they don't understand his, like, reach or influence or anything. Wow. This is pretty bad. Just, like, categorically how not to treat a data breach. So Troy tweeted... This is enormously frustrating. I've been trying to get in touch with SureBet 24-7 for eight days now so I can send them the data for verification. No response yet, but they're quoted as saying, no customer data of ours was hacked or exposed. So he's he's pretty sure. And if, if Troy is sure, then it's almost certain that it happened. He's sure that they've been hacked. They're effectively plugging their ears <laughs> and going, la, 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 la. The stream of tweets that are pictures of ostriches with their head in the sand <laughs> is, is beautiful. Oh, my gosh. That's great. So that's that's the internet drama of the day. Lovely. Fantastic. Uh, an Apple hacker avoids, uh, sorry, hacker in quotes, avoids prison over iCloud blackmail. 22-year-old Karem al from North London has admitted trying to blackmail Apple by claiming he has access to millions of iCloud accounts. This was reported by the BBC. He posted a video on YouTube that appeared to show him breaking into two accounts, and he threatened to sell the account information, dump his database online, and reset the 319 million accounts unless Apple paid him with iTunes gift cards worth $100,000. Now, can we just double click on that for a second? Yeah, that, that's really dumb, right? Because surely they would just take all the serial numbers and like pay him and then 10 minutes later just not give him the credit or something. I just I don't understand why you would expect the company to pay you in their own currency. I know. I find that fascinating it's just a bit dull <laughs> it really is yeah. uh apple investigated his claim but found that he had not compromised its systems so uh the uk's national crime agency found that alboraic had gathered email addresses and passwords from other services which had previously been exposed in data breaches he then tried his luck seeing if anybody had used the same username and password for their icloud account which presumably they have and he told investigators quote when you have power on the internet it's like fame and everyone respects you hmm I mean... That's questionable. I'll tell you what. The surefire way that I know uh, if somebody respects me is when they tell me that they respect me. You know, that's that's how I know. <laughs> this is really something else. I wonder if really anybody has power on the internet. <laughs> there's, a, there's a witty comment in here somewhere. I'm having a hard time finding it right now. It's, it's just, yeah, it's a very odd thing to say, isn't it? Yeah. When you get caught. So because he didn't actually, I guess, hack Apple, he was only given a two-year suspended jail sentence in order to do 300 hours of unpaid work so he didn't get off too badly it says here a two-year suspended jail sentence what does that mean exactly it means if you ever do anything again they'll give you another jail sentence plus that two years ah okay uh takeaways of course use a password manager implement or enable the two-factor authentication if it's provided and don't leave old accounts abandoned so if you stop using a service shut down your account etc etc i did get a password reset email for my son's iCloud account over the break, which was interesting because it's not used anywhere at all, which I find fascinating. Like where did, how does someone even have that email address? Maybe it was this dude. Maybe it was this guy. Yeah, who knows? <sighs> my friend has a, a an Instagram handle that is, I guess, desirable. It's just, just their first name. And... <laughs> 
he has about mm, 10, 15 emails a day <laughs> of people trying to reset his, his account. It's it's just absolutely crazy. Like, but, you know, I think I would cash out. I think I'd put it up for auction. Yeah. But, yeah. They, but they never offer that much. It's usually like, I'll give you $10 for your account. Oh, no, no, no. He's had offers uh, from a brand with mm-hmm. his name um, of about five to 6000 Yeah, Yeah, it's pretty great. I always enjoy the John Lewis guy every year. Yeah, John Lewis on Twitter. He just gets tweets about the... Uh, the John Lewis Adler. I think they've kind of molded him into it. Right? Yeah. Right. They, they, they like flew him out for an event. There's a department store in England called John Lewis. Nice. Uh, and on Twitter, there's also a, a nice gentleman who's always very friendly. <laughs> when when people accidentally tweet saying, oh, this didn't get delivered on time. He's also, he's always like, I'm sorry. Uh, maybe this, this person can help. That's great. <laughs> I love it. Uh, you want to talk about Greta Thunberg a little bit? Sorry, Thunberg? Yeah, I never know how to say her name. Thunberg, Thunberg. I think that was it. I think we nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this is the headline that Christmas malware, a Christmas malware thing? Christmas malware uses support Greta Thunberg as a lure. Mm. So these uh, these scams have apparently been shamelessly using climate activist Greta Thunberg to get users to bite. The malware spreading spam use subject lines such as, please help save the planet. And support Greta Thunberg, Time Person of the Year 2019. Oh, gosh. Yeah. I think mainly they use anything that's popular, right? Yeah. To find out more, you need to open a Word document that's linked to the email or attached to it. Uh, it says, Merry Christmas. You can spend Christmas Eve looking for gifts for children. They will then tell you, thank you for only that day. But the children will thank you for their whole lives if you come out for the biggest demonstration in protest against the inaction of the government in connection with climate change. Oy. So, uh, you know, they, they decided to spread a, a good political message alongside having malware. I think the, the, the malware really undermined their message a bit. Yeah. So it, it, it seems to be uh, similar to an Emotet malware. Uh, Emotet is a widespread malware family that seems to have evolved to fill a very specific cybercrime niche of delivering malware for other crooks. Naked Security's Mark Stockley explained, Over its five-year life, Emotet has evolved from a Trojan that silently steals victims' banking credentials into a highly sophisticated and widely deployed platform for distributing other kinds of malware, notably other kinds of banking Trojan. Uh, so sort of a, you know, a B2B content delivery network for other, other criminals. So I guess the uh, the takeaway here is yeah, just, just don't open attachments you didn't ask for or that you don't expect. Don't turn off security features because a document tells you to. And uh, look for an antivirus with behavior blocking and web filtering. So joining us today is Stina Ehrensvard. Stina is the CEO and founder of Ubico. Stina, it is wonderful to have you here. Thank you so much. I'm honored. Would you like to give people a little bit of your backstory? I mean, certainly setting you up as CEO and founder of Ubico, uh, that tells people a lot already, but um, maybe not sort of how you arrived at, at where you are and, and a little bit of, of where you came from. So I was born in US where I live today, but I grew up in Sweden. You can hear that on my accent. I married this super cool security geek who said, it would take him one day to write the code that could hack my bank account. And in order to just check that out, I called up the bank customer service and asked, hey, I know this guy. I didn't say it was my my boyfriend. (laughs) And the solution the bank had provided me at the time was 
a username and a password and a software certificate that I was supposed to download on my computer. So the bank was quiet for a couple of seconds and then they responded, can you please tell your friend not to do that? (laughs) So that's how I started this company. I was now partnering with this super geek, former white hat hacker, and I have a background in industrial product design. And I realized at that moment, wow, the world has a problem. I started asking all these hard questions to him. So what could he not hack? And he responded, he could not hack smart cards because they had this, you know, more advanced public key crypto and they were a hardware device that was not tied to the internet. And he gave me all the reasons. And I said, why isn't the whole world using smart cards? And he said, well, because they were not designed for the web. They were not designed for mobile and they're expensive and clunky and needs drivers and client software and readers. And he gave all the reasons too. Anyway, I continued to ask hard questions and eventually we came up with a YubiKey that could be seen as a simplified, more usable, lower cost, more scalable, next generation smart card. But in order for this hardware thing to work everywhere, because you can't have one device for your bank and then you have to get another device logging to your IRS account, you know, you need to have the same key to everything we realized that we need to help develop a global standard. And that was now nine years ago. We were like a handful of people in the company. I got an email from a Google security engineer who said he's starting using our product. This is 2010. It was the initial first version of this key, the YubiKey. And he said that he wanted a quote for 20,000 users, which at the time <laughs> was all the Google staff. And I wrote my first business plan. I Actually, the company had been going for a couple of years and struggling to get any attention. And, and I said, Jacob, now we need to move to Silicon Valley and to develop a standard with Google. Most people thought I was crazy. The company has now grown to 250 people. And we have developed a global standard together with Google and with Microsoft. And it just made, it, Apple just made support for it. And one password has made support for the standard too. So that's really cool. So I I have to imagine that here at One Password, you know, we deal strictly in software, but I can't even imagine the logistics involved in adding a hardware component to that. What sort of supply chain thoughts went through your head when when you had someone asking for 20,000 of these devices that you had ostensibly just really started creating? Well, well I didn't have 20,000 devices in, in stock. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it eventually scaled to more. They actually put out this case study. It was, it was 300,000 users and they had zero account takeovers. Wow. It's never heard of. There isn't any other authentication technology out there, including smart cards and bank authentication tokens and OTP. And it also were four times faster to log in compared to their Google Authenticator where you need to retype a code. And then they had support reduction, which answers your question. It is sort of more complicated in some scenarios. I'm not saying it's perfect for all scenarios, sort of send out hardware keys. But in their case, if you only have the phone as your one single authenticator and login method, and if you lose the phone, what is your backup? The backup to that needs to be as secure. So with Google, they realized that was the biggest cost and problem they had with uh, their former, the Google Authenticator and and other methods. So with the Yuviki, because it's fairly affordable, they could give every employee and all their contractors and all their interns, whoever they needed to give this key, two or three keys. And if they lost one, they had a backup. And with that, that was tens of millions of dollars were sa- saved in support. <laughs> and now they're only using security key internally. 
they don't use software or SMS or any of that. It just wasn't proven to be good enough. Sure, sure. Wow. Uh, so I'm not advocating and saying that hardware is the solution for everything. But if you want very good security, it's proven to be very good. Uh, and the standard we've developed is eventually now also being built in directly into computers and phone. So you can buy a Chromebook today that has this WebAuth and FIDO built in directly into it. So they don't need a YubiKey. And then people say, well, eventually, Sina, your company is going to be dead. You know, people are not needing these key. And I, well, you will need a backup and there will be legacy devices and there will be shared workstations and there will be situations where you can't bring your phone or, you know, we wanted to develop this standard to make every person on the planet secure. So that is our bigger mission. And that's why we've been successful. And what do you think are the, the most common reasons that people really start to use a, a YubiKey or, or start to think about that? They have been hacked and don't want to experience that again. Majority of our customers are enterprises. Only 10, 15% of our customers are individual users. Of the individual users, it's mainly influencers, celebrities, or security geeks who are more advanced users and understands the, the importance of security. I mean, actually, I had a very funny conversation with a scriptwriter and producer from Hollywood who just contacted me and said, oh, I just was hacked. I read about your product online, and I would like to now advocate for this for my friends here in Hollywood. And and I think that journey is very typical. You know, something happens where you, you're starting to look for better security, and you go online, and you find odd videos and, and product reviews where we pop up. And it is a very easy to use. Of all the really secure solutions out there, smart card, bank authentication tokens, and, and even the, the more advanced software apps, this is fairly easy to use. I mean, it is just, you just touch it. So I think the usability and speed. Right. Yeah. Because um, it's very popular in, in Europe to send out those kind of card readers. Yes. The little ones that look like calculators. Exactly. I don't know about the, the US, but we've got about three different banks. And so we got three different readers. <laughs> and yeah, finding one of them was always fun at the time. I think they came out with an app now that emulates that type of thing. The usability on those was, was definitely pretty poor. The security of those was never really explained. You know, you, you always got told not to put your PIN number for your bank card into anything other than like an ATM or and then they send out these little kind of calculator looking devices that say, hey, put your PIN in. <laughs> so I think the usability of, of YubiKeys in general, the, the kind of one touch element is uh... the ones that you just described and one of the more complex ones, they need a reader, they need client software, you need to enter a PIN, you need to retype something. I mean, it's, it's sort of a little journey every time you want to log in and they're only designed to work with one bank. So you need, you know, like you say, you need a separate device for a separate bank and that's not really scalable. When it comes to Yubico educating your customers, what emphasis do you put on passwords and password reuse, if any, when, when you're talking to them? Or, or is the messaging strictly focused on the use of the security key and, and, and how, how that helps protect them? I mean, we are all in this business together trying to figure out ways to not use static passwords. I mean, the, the use of static passwords are today the number one security breach 
out there. And I think someone said it's a trillion dollars that is now lost to static passwords. And you, one password, you have a solution to ensure that you always log in with a unique, complicated password <laughs> and you secure it in a vault. And, you know, the, so that's one way of doing it. At Ubico, we say, hey, we can use a password, but you should always combine it with something else like a YubiKey or, you know, something that you ideally have in your pocket so it can't be hacked remotely. That's that's definitely what we see is is kind of, you know, when, when you're talking about the enterprise, there's essentially three pillars that really become apparent, right? It's the MFAs, uh, you know, including hardware keys and, and such. Uh, it's the it's the single sign-ons and it's a, a, a password manager because, uh, you know, the, the first two kind of give you that structure. Like if you're Google, all of your tools are Google, right? <laughs> and so you can secure each and every one of them with a hardware key. But in other companies, you know, when Wendy and Bob in, in accounting sign up for some random service that doesn't have kind of security key integration or doesn't have single sign-on, you know, and you're left with just a password, if your business kind of relies on the first two pillars, the third one's going to come back and, and bite you, really, because when we're talking about uh, what password that they're going to use without kind of strict security regulations, like they're not going to tell IT every time someone comes in and says, oh, I need to set this up. They're just going to sign up for that. So generally what we see, uh, this thing called shadow IT. Oh, I agree. I agree. I mean, those three pillars are going to stay for now and in a foreseen future. I don't see it changing. You may do. We, you know, we live in a fantastic time of innovation. So we don't know what the next generation MFA or or single sign-on or password management these are is in five or 10 years. But for here and now, those are the three things that both individuals and enterprises you'd look at. Exactly. Uh, someone was uh, talking to me this morning and, and mentioned mentioned Minority Report, the film Minority Report with Tom Cruise, if, if you haven't seen it, as kind of a view of the future. I think it was mainly around the fact that they tracked adverts based on your face, but <laughs> it was kind of the idea of what replaces authentication in the in the future. And, you know, they were talking about how face ID works and, you know, how all of these things seem like minority reports, seem like we're moving in that kind of direction. But basically, it, it's all amusing right up until the point where he replaces his eyes with someone else's and completely avoids all security. So I'm not sure that was the best of descriptions of what the future looks like. Ooh, that's scary. That sounds like a very painful way to have good privacy in the future. I'm going to go and replace my eyes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That, I mean, that, it, at least if it was a hardware key, you could replace that or a password pretty easily. But uh, yeah, when, when we're talking about biometrics and uh, and eyes... And, and retina scans, uh, they're, they're more difficult to replace. We've been holding off making a biometrics key of exactly that reason. You can't revoke it. <laughs> you, have, you are your biometrics. So that always raises privacy concerns. But also biometrics are never 100%. I mean, we know that when we go through customs and suddenly our fingers are dry or wet or whatever, and then they don't work. And, and the same thing with iris recognition and face recognition. You know, is it too dark in the room? So what I like with the YubiKey, with a password and a pin, is that it's exact. It's not like, um, oh, maybe, maybe it's going to work or not. So it is a lot of cool science fiction in this biometrics that is definitely, you know, innovation, you know, that is there's talked about and tested all over. But I'm not saying what is going to be the future of authentication 
in five or 10 years, how much of that will be biometrics and how much of that will be security keys and, and pins and password. I honestly don't think that pins and password are going to go away anytime soon because it's exact and it is good privacy compared to giving away your biometrics. What size companies and situations do you usually find need need these security keys the most you know we're we're finding journalists and media companies uh protecting themselves with things like like yubikeys more recently is that a trend that you are also seeing we have some of the largest enterprises on the planet are actually using YubiKeys. We started, once we won Google, nine of the top 10 internet companies are using my product. Eventually, we started getting into financial industry and to government. There's infrastructure today in countries, you know, energy grids and nuclear plants that are being using YubiKeys to protect countries. And that's sort of cool. We do also have journalists and dissidents. We work closely with Freedom of the Press. That is a nonprofit organization set up to protect journalists and dissidents who are doing work that may not be aligned with non-democratic countries. And we want to help protect their identities. We donate thousands of keys every year to, to those organizations. That's really cool. That's that's nice to hear. Yeah, I think we are here to talk about security. And if there is no free speech, it doesn't really matter what we are trying to do in the security space, because then there is no security. So that's sort of another mission that this company has. We want to ensure that we help protect a free, open internet and free speech. Yeah, that, that's great to hear. I mean, we're very similar, I think, in the fact that we have one password for journalism and, and give out a, a, a ton of free accounts. It makes the work even more fun, because if you work on something that makes your work meaningful, it gives you that extra boost to go to your job in the morning. Absolutely. So I guess, you know, one of the last questions is what's next for Ubico? So the standards work has just started. I mean, it was only a couple of weeks ago, Apple made native support for the FIDO WebAuthn. And it's, it's a confusing name because first it was called FIDO and then it evolved into WebAuthn, but it's basically the same thing. So now the next thing is just tell the world it's here. Everyone can support it. And I'm very happy that one password is one of the pioneers in doing so. And then we've got all these cool requests beyond authentication. So there are credit card companies who say, hey, can this be used for the next generation payments, payments in the browser? Now when this web author is in all leading platforms and browsers, you don't need client software for authentication that is beyond you know, traditional authentication. We've got requests from cryptocurrencies say, hey, could this secure cryptocurrency in signing? And all the leading cryptocurrency companies have made support for YubiKey in some way, but these are of the next generation protocols that is further designed for crypto. IoT, there's a new working group in the WebAuth and standards group that's sort of, hey, how can this scale to IoT, to cars, to machines? And we are developing products and ideas around all those use cases. So those are the, besides the biometrics keys and uh, a CNFC key that is in the making as we are now seeing, you know, how what cool things and what distributed new trust models could we build on top of this standard? You know, we can build things on top of WebAuthn that can help protect the internet at scale beyond what's going to be YubiKeys. That's cool. That is cool. 
And I, I love the fact that it's a standard as well. So I don't get one each branded from, from my bank. And we don't want to have to do, uh, you know, what, <laughs> what the, the bankers did earlier, which was hold, hold each of one of every every brand in their pocket. So, yeah, that that's that's great. And I just, I just want to end with one really cool um, sort of story around the whole notion of standards. 60 years ago, there was this innovator in Sweden. His name was Niels Bullin. He worked for Volvo. And he was assigned to develop a seat belt. And at the time, there was either a strap that you had on your tummy. And when you crashed, it cut in through your tummy. And it, that wasn't great. Or there was this five-point sort of harness thing where it was really clunky. And he went, or I did a, a user study and said, user, in order for security to scale for cars, it has to be easy. It has to work with one hand within a second. And ordinary people do not want to be uncomfortable even for a minute. And with that objective, he developed the three-point seatbelt. And then he went up to the Volvo board and did something very brave and bold. He said, this innovation shouldn't be owned by Volvo. Volvo should give it to the world. Volvo should develop a global standard around seatbelts and be the driver for that. I mean, with that, I just want to say our mission is to develop the seatbelt for the internet. But it wasn't only a seatbelt. Eventually, there were crush zones and, and airbags. And and I believe, because we all know, I mean, that's why 1Password and Yubico exists, is that internet was not designed for security. It was not, it was designed for sharing. And now, all these 30 years later, we have to figure out how do we develop security that is easy and usable and scalable and so ordinary people do not need to be uncomfortable even for a minute that's really cool i think that is a great point to end on thank you so much for coming on and sparing your no doubt valuable time and i can say from the one password team we we look forward to working with you all on more projects in the future yes definitely and it was an honor to be on the show i'm really impressed with how your company has grown and flourished the last years and we're on the same mission to make the internet safer for a lot of people absolutely we are already at real or not real oh so you can see the Great Wall of China from space, real or not real. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I thought this was like a thing. This is the thing, right? Yeah. No, abs you can, yes. Where have you heard it? I've seen it from on NASA's website. NASA's website? Yeah. Okay. Go to, go to nasa.gov.org. <laughs> And uh, I feel like space is, is obviously a, a, a quite an open-ended thing that you could say that you could see the Great Wall of China from. Do you think you could see anything else from space? Oh, yeah. Hurricanes. <laughs> <laughs> so you're both going real? Yeah, this is absolutely real. It is not true. It's not real. What? So even from the relatively low orbit of the International Space Station, about 173 miles above sea level, the Great Wall is impossible to make out. So from the moon, you can kind of forget about it. Holy Yeah. This decade-old myth occurs in old school textbooks, but was actually disproven by one of China's own astronauts. Wait. But you can, however, see the pyramids from space, apparently, if you squint a bit. Wow. <laughs> well, look at this. NASA.gov uh, talks about the fact that you can't see the Great Wall <laughs> from space. <laughs> Busted. God damn it. That is fascinating. See? Got ya. Yeah, you, you did. did. I'm, I'm impressed. <laughs> That's a good way to start the year right there. That's that's very good. It's quite interesting when you read through them. 
Wow. I was totally snowed by that one. That was that was a good job, Anna. Maybe they just need a better camera. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. Wow, that has stumped me. I, I always thought that that was oh, a thing. I know, my, my world is shaken here. Right, well, I think that's all we've got time for. It's been a pleasure. Yes. It has been. All right, love you both. Love you, Rue. Happy New Year. Bye. Bye. -bye.